walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. Now, as you know, News Talk is exploring the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades every day on the station. And today we are going back to January 1st, 20, 2002, rather, when the world's largest ever monetary change took place with the introduction of the euro and former finance minister and Labour TD Rory Quinn played a crucial role in bringing about that single currency and he joins me now to discuss it. Rory, how, how, thank you for speaking to us this morning. How significant was it, the move from us giving up the punt and various other, obviously, uh, countries throughout Europe giving up their currencies as well and us forming this monetary union, this single currency? It probably was the most uh, significant decision that was made from the time that Ireland joined the European Union and all the other countries as well. It started off with uh, a number of countries and then in 19, um, when, when in 1927 uh, we actually uh, agreed to have a single currency for all of the member states at that time. And um, it had never been done before. It really was a journey to the dark side of the moon. Uh, and in retrospect, it was what transformed the European Union into an integrated Yeah, a system. cohesive union. A cohesive. Um, do, do you think, though, that there were negatives to some extent for Ireland in that, that that very close monetary union with Germany, for example, with the Bundesbank? We were out of step very often. We, we were in a boom when they were in a recession. And so the monetary policies that were brought about, uh, I suppose, in association with the euro, they were hard on us as, as an economy. Yes, but the booms were followed by busts because of the way in which uh, governments of different political persuasions uh, and the politics at the time meant that there wasn't the same control and there wasn't the same long-term planning. Uh, I mean, the way in which the Irish economy is managed now is far more efficient and far more predictable than it was in the case uh, going back 20, 30 years ago. Uh, Ireland was a very unstable country, as indeed were countries like Spain and Portugal and Greece, not to mention Italy. Yeah, and this was the pigs, this as, was, as we're sometimes referred to. Yeah, this this was the difficulty. Uh, you had the Northern European countries because of their experience, and particularly the German experience of being annihilated. Uh, they wanted a, a very prudent policy, whereas the Southern countries and Ireland was kind of half caught between the two. Mm. Um, fluctuated between good times and then followed by bad times. And what we needed was that discipline. And that's what basically the single currency gave us. And so you think on, on, on balance that we benefited more than, than, than we suffered on, under the, the introduction? Oh, without question. When Ireland joined the European Union back in 1973, we were the poorest country. Uh, we're now in the top five countries of the, the nearly um, the, the whole of the European Union. And um, we are a net contributor now to the uh, funds of the European Union when we were actually baking, getting assistance to become part of that. Uh, Ireland has never been as successful in, in, in not of ways. For example, if you take education, our education has been transformed 
and a lot of that was as a result of the, the European, funding that became, the European project. That became Look, available. Thank you very much for that insight into it. That is Rory Quinn, their former Minister for Finance and Labour TD, on the introduction of the euro. Now, uh, we are going to return to our special series exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. We're looking back at a different moment chosen by the listeners every day across the station. And we want to take you back now to January the 1st, 2002, when we bade farewell to the Punt and adopted the Euro. This is then Taoiseach Bertie Hearn speaking about it on that day. The whole idea of it is to bring a stability, to see the completion of economic monetary union, to see lower interest rates for us, and to work in its own way to bring peace and harmony and a better quality of life to the ordinary people. That's what it's really about. But has the euro achieved all we dreamt it could? Or was the introduction of a single European currency just an idealistic notion? Well, I'm joined on the line by Dr Ondre, senior researcher in the Martin Centre in Brussels. Owen, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thank you. Now, um, I've been reading an article that uh, you wrote and you cast a cold eye on the euro. Well, I think um, I wouldn't call it a cold eye. I'd call it a more uh, realistic eye, I think. I think at a practical level, you know, the euro has succeeded. It's a global currency. There's high public support. But I think underneath the surface, there's a lot of kind of structural and political issues uh, that really will need to be kind of uh, sorted over the next couple of years if the euro is to survive for another two decades. Now, bring us back to the birth of the euro. Whose idea was it that, uh, you know, a big trading bloc could have a common currency in the same way as, say, the United States, which has 50 states, all with their own uh, jurisdictions. It's a federation, but they have a common currency, the dollar. Yeah, basically, the idea for a, for a European common currency goes right back uh, to the establishment of the European economic community, as it was then in the late 1950s. Um, in 1970, there was kind of a famous report by Werner, the Werner Report, which, um, you know, talked about why um, a single currency would be so attractive for Europe in terms of increasing trade and making it easier for people to travel around Europe. But it wasn't really until the early, the late 1980s, the early 1990s, that the political will uh, for, for, for a single currency really came about. And that was largely driven by the fall of the Berlin Wall and the reunification of Germany, which really gave it, gave it the impetus uh, to develop in the 1990s. Okay, the idea being with the common currency that you have a common set of rules. Now, I remember the mantra years and years ago, um, you know, people like the Italians and the Greeks being lectured, and indeed probably the Irish as well, and maybe the Portuguese, at uh, the so-called, um, what was it, the pigs countries. Um, if you want a lifestyle like the Germans, you've got to work as hard as the Germans. And that was, you know, seen as a fundamental flaw in the euro. Yes, exactly. I think if if you're looking kind of backwards now to when the euro was uh, was introduced, a lot of the idealism seems uh, almost naive in the sense of, yes, as you mentioned, you know, if you worked hard, you could get a lifestyle uh, like the Germans. But I think what we've seen over the last two decades, particularly during the Greek crisis, um, is that there was a lot of structural uh, shortcomings um, that really needed to be sorted. We're talking about, you know, banking union, making sure that states 
um, what happened in Ireland wouldn't happen again, that states would have to uh, bail out their banking systems, etc. All this is linked, I suppose, into the broader economic and monetary union, which is necessary for the euro. And basically what we've seen over the last, probably over about the last 12 years, is this step-by-step approach trying to sort out those structural deficiencies. Mm. How close are we to that? The idea that there would be true solidarity if a country gets into difficulty, you know, maybe not through its own fault, although when you look at uh, Greece uh, and ourselves, indeed, we got ourselves into trouble. But the idea, and this is what the Germans and the, the, the Dutch rail against, the idea that other countries can be profligate, we are being uh, careful and conservative financially, and yet, if something goes pear-shaped in these profligate countries, we're expected to bail them out. Exactly. And I would say that um, was the overriding kind of uh, division w- within the euro right up to the onset of the corona crisis. And actually, if there is one positive element of such a terrible pandemic, is that um, it has really given the impetus uh, for further uh, kind of development of the euro at, at a European level. We're seeing, uh, you know, developments with the recovery fund, the new EU budget. And we're really seeing, I suppose, the beginnings of this solidarity that may or may not. It's it's too early to tell now. But at the moment, certainly, I am a lot more positive about the future of the euro than I was maybe 18 months Mm. ago, two years ago. Now, at the recession, we had a situation where austerity was the byword. In other words, you've got to batten down the hatches, increase your taxes, reduce your uh, government spending programmes, social programmes and so on. And that's the way we'll get out of trouble. We've seen the opposite with the COVID crisis, where uh, governments have been encouraged to spend, spend, spend so that companies don't go to the wall, so that people don't go hungry because they've no money to put food on the table. It's been you know, a 180 degree difference in approach. And some of the people are saying, look, this debt, this money that's being printed by uh, the ECB, we just park that debt like a war debt, like a first world war debt. We'll pay it back someday, but let's not concern ourselves with it now. Does that make sense? Um, I think in the current climate, if if you think about like the unprecedented pandemic uh, we're having at the moment, and we're not there yet, even though the vaccines are on the way, um, I think it does make sense to a certain degree. I think what you've seen kind of, if you think about the Troika that infamously came to Ireland in 2010, both the European Union, the European Central Bank and the IMF, in their response to the corona crisis, uh, many would say that they've learned the lessons of the Irish crisis and of the Greek crisis from from um, from a decade ago. And basically, the lesson is that you can only uh, deal with one crisis at a time. So the crisis at the moment is to you know uh, keep people's incomes as stable as possible, protect protect jobs where possible, and that the next issue of worrying about the debt that can only happen when the recovery has taken hold, when growth has returned, and when we have a a clearer uh, view as to what the actual uh, crisis is actually costing. Now, uh, finally, on the question of Britain, it stayed outside uh, monetary union, it kept the pound, kept its own central bank. And I suppose we should be thankful for small mercies that uh, if the people of Britain were using the euro and they voted for Brexit, it would have been a much more complex parting than the complex parting we're looking at at the moment. Absolutely. It, w- it would have been even more disastrous if that's possible. I think what, what people have to remember is 
even with Britain uh, using uh, sterling, the Irish and British economies, the Irish and British banking systems in particular with Ulster Bank, Allied Irish and Bank of Ireland are very closely, uh, closely connected. So in one sense, I think maybe uh, Britain staying out of the euro back in 2002 might actually make the terrible impact of, of, of Brexit maybe just a little bit more bearable. All right. Well, it's, it's interesting to look back on that uh, day. And I mean, the practical changes, as you say, on for all of us going to different countries on holiday or on business and just using the same currency, it is uh, a great convenience. Whether structurally it will last the decades, who knows. But Dr. Andre, senior researcher in the Martin Centre in Brussels, uh, thank you very much. This is Europe's most significant monetary reform since the Roman Empire. Europeans, with their actions uh, from the 1st of January, have shown that they really want more Europe and they really want changes in economic policy in Europe, like the one that represents the euro. My name is Eddie Shanahan, a fashion and retail consultant, but uh, I was formerly a senior manager at Arnott's. Eddie, you were a senior manager on January 1st in 2002 during the Euro changeover, but also back then the January sales were huge. Oh, the January sales at Arnott's were always huge. Uh, indeed, they were. I can remember that we would have up to 8,000 people an hour come through one door alone, the main door on Henry Street. But uh, to give you an idea of what that really meant, we had five doors in all in the store. So it was a very, very busy store. And as we faced into that particular January, of course, uh, there was uh, an, an added issue to manage, not just people in the store, but how we communicated a massive change, the change over to a new currency. Do you want to know what the next big thing is going to be? The euro. It's already underway, so remember, a pound will get you one euro and 27 cents. It's a great number, and soon it will be playing right across Europe. Think euro. The change is in your pocket. With Eurocash coming on the 1st of January, we all need to start thinking in euro. Remember, a euro is worth just under 79 pence. Get to know the euro. Think euro. The change is in your pocket. The facts are in your euro handbook. People were well prepared for it. There was a good government communication beforehand as well. So you were dealing with thousands of bargain hunters and then two sets of change, two sets of notes. There wasn't a lot of confusion. In fact, it was uh, because of the preparation we and indeed our colleagues across uh, retail across the country did. And yes, we did dual pricing uh, on, on our sale tickets. So it meant that you actually had four prices on the sale ticket, you know, the original price in old money, the original price in new money, and, and then of course the reduction. But people were remarkably prepared. And I think that's a good lesson for retailers today, that if you, uh, work hard to communicate well with your consumer if you do your preparation beforehand uh, then you will be respected by the customer and trusted by the customer what 
are your memories of that Euro changeover on January 1st, 2002? It made everything dearer. Memories was that it was it was really, really difficult, like you know what I mean? And we didn't know whether we were getting the right change or not. So it was know? pretty complicated, wasn't it? Absolutely. To go from the old Irish pumps and the 20p's and the yeah. 50p's to cents and then these euros and they were mm. smaller. Absolutely, they were smaller, so there was more room in your pocket. But the local chip chip shop, your man was on the ball. He knew every conversion from. He understood it. Oh, he understood it like we didn't. We didn't have a clue, but he was inviting you and come in, bring your money in, your old pumps, your old pumps. and we'll change it into euros for you and the whole lot. So. And did you have loads of old purple twenties underneath the couch you found years later? <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> then I'd be worth a few bob then, wouldn't I? Because I understand the central bank will still change them oh yeah still. yeah yeah you can still you can still get them changed yeah as far as i know so um, but i haven't found any at, at the moment like you know what i mean so and i don't think i will and do you miss the old irish pound sometimes i wish it was back in the old days like you know what i mean had the old money even though it was bigger i don't know what brexit brexit and britain are doing getting out well, of britain it britain never joined the currency they never joined no no the they, they never they always kept their currency and they, the deutschmark the germans gave that up the frank the french gave that up but the british wouldn't get rid of their no, pound because the queen was on the on all the money tell us what was it like you were working in a supermarket at the time and they just thought all every all the systems were going to crash and everything but nothing ever happened so so you did a lot of work and businesses and retailers and shops also and pubs did a massive amount of work all those years ago 18 years ago nearly 19 years ago now this january in three weeks time what do you remember what's your lasting memory of that euro changeover was it good for ireland to give up the old irish pound to give up the punt i i can answer that from a, a very personal perspective you know at that time i traveled regularly with the the team of buyers at arnott so in early january i would go to germany for a home textiles fair i would go on from there to florence for the menswear fair i would come back and, and very quickly head to paris for women's wear and for the first time I had one currency in my pocket and no silly fiddly bits left over when I came back from trips. And all of a sudden, the common sense behind the common currency, the ease with which we could cross borders now, uh, became instantly apparent. And not just to me, but to, to, to colleagues that I worked with in other countries as well. And you could actually work out, hang on a second, Ireland is quite expensive, uh, a country to live in. I remember myself visiting Mallorca, visiting Santa Ponza in 2002, and you could get a full meal for five euro. In Ireland, you couldn't get a full meal for less than 15 back in 2002. Well, that was another thing, of course. It, it, did, it did make that, those comparisons much, much easier, absolutely. Some people were waiting at midnight to withdraw their first euro banknotes. The 2002 euro cash changeover was one of the biggest logistical exercises ever conducted in Europe. Placed end-to-end, -end, the 14.9 billion banknotes produced for the changeover could have stretched to the moon and back five times over or covered 15,000 football pitches. As for the coins, 250,000 tons of metal were needed to produce 52 billion coins. Did you mind giving up your Irish pounds? In a, in a small way, just in a very small way, but we're bigger now because we're part of Europe, so it's the price you pay. And I was in Wales at the time, so we had the you sterling. the sterling? Exactly, yeah. Any regrets about keeping the sterling? They should have gone whole hog with Europe, to be honest. And then it would have been harder to leave, wouldn't it? 
Exactly, which I don't agree with leaving, so. What did you think of January 2002 and getting those euros in your pockets? I thought it was a super idea. I'm all for Europe. Once my money is in the bank, I, I don't care what currency it's in at all. Once it's in the bank. Generation Z had, had uh, you know, they're digital natives and they had already decided that it was, and they're correct, much more convenient simply uh, to uh, pay with their phones or to pay with a, a tap and go with a card, much, much easier. And, and it, it didn't necessitate constant trips to bank machines and the convenience uh, of not having to handle it and also just the, the health aspect of it has, has driven uh, the use of different contact plus payment uh, uh, platforms and forms. I'm so pleased that you mentioned Generation Z. That's my generation. We never get a look in. It's always about the millennials. <laughs> I think that the euro was sort of the direct continuation of the German mark. We have transposed the good things about the Deutschmark to this European currency. And in this sense, the euro is also a great German success. Euro is for euro. One euro, two euros.